Welcome to the Plenteous Redemption Podcast, where the cross and the culture are on a collision course for discussion. For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness. But unto us which are saved it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and will bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this world? Hath not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? For after that in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God. It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. For the Jews require signs, the Greeks seek after wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified. Under the Jews a stumbling block, under the Greeks foolishness, but under them which are called both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. Now, here's your host, Thomas Irvin. Welcome back to the Plenteous Redemption Podcast. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen to this audio and watch these videos. And uh, I greatly appreciate the feedback I've received the past few days regarding the last few uh, broadcasts. And I hope you got to hear that um, uh, interview with Brother Ed Worth. What a blessing that was. Brother Ed was a, just a, uh, it was convicting. It was probably one of the most convicting interviews I've been able to take part in thus far. And um, I, I just appreciate him really opening his heart up the way he did and, and just pouring it all out and, and telling us who he was and, and how he got to where he is now and how God worked in his life over all that time. It, it just, it, it was a tremendous blessing. If you haven't listened to that yet, I hope you'll take the time and, and do so. I think it'll bless your heart. It'll, it'll be a, I believe it'll be a big help to you. And um, uh, we've got quite a bit going on here in Uganda. Um, I hope you'll pray for us, help us, uh, you know, navigate some of these details, some of these difficulties, some of the things that are going on in Uganda. Um, we love it here. We, we, we just press on with the work and keep doing what the Lord has called us to do. Now for this broadcast, we're going to do a biographical sketch of Darius the King. And I want to give you some background as to how I put this narrative together that we're going to go through. Um, I didn't use any historical documentation, no archaeological documentation. All I did was run the cross-references in the Bible and piece together the narrative accordingly. And I believe it fits. I believe it works. I believe it's it's good. Um, uh, I understand if it's different from what you're used to or or how you see it. By all means, leave a comment on what you think about it wherever you listen to this. I would be happy to engage in these things. Um, I just didn't feel the need. As I read the commentators and I read the historians, they all tell you who they think Darius is, Ahasuerus is, Artaxerxes is, Cyrus is. And then after they tell you who they think they are, they say, but we don't know. <laughs> so I just take them at their word. They don't know. And I just ran the cross references and stuck with the cross references and stuck with what God said there. And it's been a blessing. It's been a help. It's been an encouragement. It, it, and when you see what I've put together here, I think you'll see why I believe 
the narrative I've laid out here from the Bible is certainly plausible and, and should be given some consideration. And so uh, I, hope, I hope you'll enjoy as we go through these things, uh, seeing what, what I've put together and what the Lord has shown me. Now, of course, we're going to start in Haggai chapter 1. Uh, if you have a Bible and you're following along, uh, turn with me to Haggai. Haggai is the is near the the last book of your uh, Old Testament. It's Haggai, Zechariah, Malachi, and then the book of Matthew. Haggai one one in the in the second year of Darius the king in the sixth month in the first day of the month came the word of the Lord by Haggai the prophet under Zerubbabel the son of Sheltiel governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Josedek, the high priest, saying. So this begins, you know, kind of our, our search for who Darius is. Both Haggai and Zechariah mark the beginning of their, their time prophesying to Judah by the reign of Darius the king. And so it'd be good for us to have an idea of who he is. Now, if you turn me to Daniel chapter 5, we're going to see our first introduction to who I believe this king is. And that's in Daniel chapter 5, verse 30. Daniel 5, 30. And that night was Belshazzar, the king of the Chaldeans, slain. And Darius the Median took the kingdom, being about threescore and two years old. So, so here you have Darius on behalf of Cyrus. He is an, an, an emissary of Cyrus. And, and if you look at, it's nearly impossible to see how these Persian kings are, are laid out uh, chronologically and, and even the hierarchy that, that's built here. Um, that what, it, what it seems to be is that you have Cyrus, who's the, the, the king over all of Persia. And, and then as he takes these large territories, because his kingdom was massive, uh, he placed various kings in charge of these territories while he continued conquering and, and he, he reigned overall over what became the, the larger uh, uh, realm of Persia. But then you had these areas like uh, uh, Darius this night became king of the Chaldeans. So now Darius is head over, over Babylon uh, since he took it on behalf of Cyrus. Now Cyrus is the king. Cyrus is in charge, but Darius took it on behalf of, of, of Cyrus and became, as such, king of the Chaldeans. Now, there's an interesting connection. There's, there's an interesting connection between Darius and Ahasuerus. And, and, and as I show that to you, uh, you know, here, here in Daniel 5, Darius is called Darius the Median. And being intellectually honest, I have to admit that could be grounds for argumentation to dismiss the narrative that I'm going to put together, that I'm putting together here, that I have put together here. But it's not definitive. Now, it's not as, I don't believe it's a strong argument. And here's why. And, and I'm going to show you in, in a second what will tie it all together. We'll kind of piece these, all these various groups together. Darius the Median was a part of the, the overall conglomerate, which was the Medes and the Persians together. So Cyrus the Persian is conquering, but it's the Medes and the Persians that, that, are, that are going about and accomplishing this together. And so the Medes owe their loyalty to, to uh, Cyrus. Now look, look at Daniel, uh, where do we go? Daniel 9. 
let's kind of tie all this together. Let, let, let me see if I can <clears throat> piece it together in a way that makes sense and uh, that, that helps you to see what I'm saying here. Darius 9, verse 1. In the first year of Darius, the son of Ahasuerus, of the seed of the Medes. Okay, so now we're, we know this is the same Darius that, that took Babylon, Darius the Median, which was made king over the realm of the Chaldeans. Now, he was made king after he took the realm of the Chaldeans. <clears throat> Excuse me. Uh, Belshazzar was a, weak, was a weakling. He was a coward. He decided to have a drunken party one night, which if you read the whole, if you read all of Daniel 5, it should help you understand why having a drunken party is an idiotic idea, especially if you're in a place of leadership. It'd be good to note what happened to Belshazzar when he decided to mock God and, and get drunk in, the, in, in, in doing so. And uh, it didn't work out too well for him. So Darius came in and took out the cowardly Belshazzar and assumed control of his kingdom, making himself king of the Chaldeans. Now, I, I would assume that's with the permission of Cyrus, uh, king of, of Persia overall. Now, verse 2, in the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, understood by books the number of years whereof the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah the prophet that he would accomplish 70 years in the desolations of Jerusalem. So Darius becomes king of the Chaldeans. And at that time, Daniel finds Jeremiah's prophecy in these books and learns that, learns first of all, that the desolation of Jerusalem was an accomplishment by God. God accomplished the desolation of Jerusalem. And in doing so, he fulfilled his promise. If you, if you don't do what I say, it's not going to go well for you. And, and Judah didn't do what God said. Judah rejected God and, and uh, had idols and, and, and just turned their back on God. And so would not respect the Sabbath that God established. And as such, God said, I'm going to have my Sabbaths, 70 years worth. And so Nebuchadnezzar sacked Jerusalem, took Judah into captivity. Then Cyrus took Nebuchadnezzar's kingdom, Babylon, and assumed control of Judah. And right around that time, Daniel finds this prophecy. And, and God, God informs Daniel in that book, you're going, Judah's going back to Jerusalem. And Cyrus makes the announcement, an announcement that was prophesied hundreds of years prior in the book of Isaiah. God said, I'm going to raise up a king named Cyrus, and I'm going to use him to send Judah back to Jerusalem. And that's exactly what happened. But what I want us to see here, most importantly, I want us to tie together Darius, Ahasuerus, Medes, Persians. We're going to tie all this together. So Daniel finds this prophecy, and, and he notes the time in which he finds it. It's, un, it's in the first year of the reign of Darius, who is the king of the Chaldeans, Darius the Median, who was also the son of Ahasuerus. Now, that's, that's very interesting. I want to I show you how this, this all gets pieced together. Now, Ahasuerus and Darius are of the seed of the Medes. They are both Median, right? So Darius the Median, his father is Ahasuerus, who, who is Ahasuerus, who is also of the Medes. Okay, that's really important as we put all this together. Now look at verse 20. And verse 20, in, in the rest of Daniel, Daniel uh, 9, Daniel goes into this vision. 
and the vision takes them somewhere. We want to see where that where that is. Uh, first, before we look at verse twenty, I'm I'm skipping a step. Look at look at Daniel eight, Daniel eight verse one. <clears throat> In the third year of the reign of King Belshazzar, a vision appeared unto me, even unto me, Daniel. After that, after that which appeared unto me at the first, and I saw in a vision. And it came to pass when I saw that I was at Shushan in the palace, which is in the province of Elam, and I saw in a vision, and I was by the river of, of Uni. So under the reign of Belshazzar, Daniel has this vision, and this, this vision takes him to Persia, to Shushan, where the palace is that the, that the Persian kings reigned from. That's very interesting because Ahasuerus, Ahasuerus reigns from that, from that palace in Shushan. And I'm going to show you that in a second. But Ahasuerus, a Median, Darius, a Median, they are reigning from the Persian palace in Shushan. Shushan is a city in Persia. <clears throat> it's, it still exists today in Iran. It's called something slightly different. I, f- I forget. Um, it's Selim or, or something along those lines. But now look at verse 20 in Daniel chapter 8. The ram which thou sawest, having two horns, are the kings of Media and Persia. So he goes to, in this, in this vision, he goes to Shushan, the palace. And in Shushan, the palace, uh, as he has this vision, he sees the kings of Media and Persia, they're, they're tied together. They're linked together. They're they're essentially one and the same, though though they're they're they they are different. They are under the same kingdom, under the same rule, under the same reign, and and they're accomplishing these tasks on behalf of Cyrus, king of Persia. Now, if you look at Esther chapter one, verses one through two, uh. The, the Ahasuerus that we know as the father of Darius the king, it is very possible that he is also the Ahasuerus of the book of Esther. This Ahasuerus reigned from the throne of his kingdom in Shushan. And so if you read Esther chapter 1, verses 1 through 2, you'll see that Ahasuerus, who ruled over a massive kingdom, he reigned over that kingdom from Shushan the palace. In Persia, so the, these the kings of the Medes and the Persians, uh, they have a lot of power. They rank high in the hierarchy, whatever that is, and or they become king of Persia, though they're Medians. So it's just it's just interesting how that how that plays out and how that is all tied together. And I believe it helps to make the idea that the Darius from chapter Daniel chapter five is also the Darius from Haggai chapter one. I believe it's very possible and and very plausible. I wouldn't argue with people over it. I don't think Christianity stands or falls on this. I, I just as you as you run the cross references and you try to piece together the information the Bible gives, it seems very plausible. That's that's my story, and I'm sticking with it. So now, if this is true, this notes the beginnings of Darius' relationship with Judah. What happened in the book of Esther? In Esther 9, verse 2, the Jews were spread throughout all the cities of the kingdom. 
So when you get to Esther chapter nine, Ahasuerus is king. He's king of, of, uh, of this massive province. And he's reigning from Shushan, the palace. But he notes that there are Jews throughout the entire kingdom, all throughout the Persian kingdom at that time. And when you get to Esther chapter 10, Mordecai became a prominent figure. He helped to save the life of Ahasuerus, the father, possibly, of Darius the king. Now, you think that didn't make a big impression? His father marries Esther, this, this Jewish girl who is, a, who is from the children of the captivity. And his father marry, uh, uh, marries Esther, who has Mordecai on her side, who helps uh, uncover this plot to kill the king, Ahasuerus, and he saves the king's life. You think that didn't have a big impression on Darius? This, this is all going to make more sense and be very relevant when we read the letter that, that Darius sent uh, uh, back to uh, the, the adversaries of Judah in the day when they're rebuilding the temple. Darius writes a striking letter. I mean, it, it, is, it is incredible. And when he sends that letter back, it, it's so incredible that it's worth looking into to find out why. Why did he send this letter? And I believe this, this begins to build the case. You have Esther. So Ahasuerus is married to Esther. Mordecai saves Ahasuerus' life. You have Jews spread through all, throughout all the Persian kingdom at this time. And, um, and I believe it had a big impact on, on, uh, on, on Darius, who eventually became Darius the king. Um, you know, Mordecai's service to Ahasuerus, after he saved his life, it took on a role very similar to that of Daniel, which we're going to talk about in a moment. Both men were trustworthy and sought the prosperity of the kingdom under which they served. You know, it's, it's, it's proper for us to hate iniquity. Jesus Christ loved righteousness and hated iniquity, and therefore his father elevated him because of that. That's a good thing for us to do. It'd be good for us to point out that iniquity and unrighteousness in the kingdom under which we live when we see it. We have a responsibility to preach against those things. But do you ultimately seek the prosperity of, of, the, of the kingdom of the nation under which you live? <clears throat> Daniel did. Mordecai did. They were, they were interested in making sure that, that the kingdom under which they served flourished. And, and, and it had a profound effect as they did so. And both men were trustworthy. They, they didn't just whine and cry about being persecuted or the situation they're in. They did something about it and they did it in a godly way. And so we should, we should uh, take a look at that and, and do the same. Now, both men stayed true to God in the face of extreme adversity. They didn't fight the government. They didn't whine and cry about their rights. They just stayed true to God. They just served God and, and didn't let uh, the arbitrary announcements of their respective kingdoms prevent them from being faithful to God. Both men stay true to God. Um, now, again, this, this must have had a profound effect on Darius the king. And this may explain why Ahasuerus did not respond. If you remember, if you listen to the last lesson on the, the historical background of, of, uh, of, of how we got to the book of Haggai, we read the letter that was sent to we read about the letter that was sent to Ahasuerus. <clears throat> Ahasuerus did not respond at all. This might be why. 
You think Ahasuerus is going to respond to some people who are trying to harm the 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 the, the background of people, the, the nation where his wife came from, where Mordecai came from? I'm not going to help you. I'm not going to help you harm the people that, that have been so good to me here in my own kingdom. And so there was no response from Ahasuerus. Now, secondly, we learned that Darius... Darius's defeat of Belshazzar put him in place to become king over the Chaldeans. So as Darius came in, he took Babylon. He's now king of the Chaldeans. Now, in all likelihood, he was still subject to Cyrus, maybe even subject to Ahasuerus concurrently. Again, <coughs> excuse me, we don't know what the hierarchy is. Who's still alive at this point? Who, who is ultimately reigning? Who has more power as a king, you know, one over the other? It's, it's, it's just not clear. Now, it is clear that Cyrus ruled over the vast empire that spread over many territories. And Darius, as he took uh, uh, Babylon, he was trustworthy. He was noteworthy. And so Cyrus could put him in charge and put him in control over the, this realm. And so he became king of the Chaldeans. Cyrus still made decisions. Darius was subject to the decisions that Cyrus made. So if you remember in Daniel 5 and in Daniel 9, Darius is now king of the Chaldeans, right? Well, look at Ezra. <clears throat> Excuse me. We're in the, um, in the dry season here in uh, Uganda, and it is dusty. And uh, I'm in my home office, which I'm not in that often and it is dusty in here so my my voice may have some trouble just bear with me and and we'll endure to the end lord willing now ezra chapter one so darius is king of the chaldeans he assumes control of judah when he becomes king of the chaldeans but cyrus is still making the decisions cyrus is still in charge cyrus is still in control darius is subject to cyrus Look at Ezra chapter 1. Now in the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, that the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah might be fulfilled, the Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, king of Persia, that he made a proclamation throughout all his kingdom and put it, all, put it also in writing, saying, look at um, 2 Chronicles 36. <clears throat> And uh, what verse? Verse 22. 2 Chronicles 36, verse 22. Now in the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, that the word of the Lord spoken by the mouth of Jeremiah might be accomplished, the Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, king of Persia, that he made a proclamation throughout all his kingdom and put it also in writing. Thus saith Cyrus, king of Persia, all the kingdoms of the earth hath the Lord God of heaven given me and he hath charged me to, uh, to build him in the house in Jerusalem, which is in Judah. Who is there among you of all his people? The Lord, his God be with him and let him go up. So he sends Judah that all who are willing and all his kingdom, all who are willing to go back to Jerusalem and accomplish the building of the temple. He sends them back to do it. <clears throat> And Darius didn't say, hey, this is my kingdom. You know, this is, I'm in charge here. No, no. Cyrus is in charge. Darius is submissive to Cyrus, 
though he's king of the Chaldeans at this point. And so Darius sends Judah back, back to Jerusalem. Now, third, we're taken back again to the book of Jeremiah. Daniel learns by books written by the prophet Jeremiah that Judah's time in Babylon is coming to an end. He gets all this. This is all back in Daniel 9, verses 1 through 2. All this kind of comes together in Daniel 8 and Daniel 9, where we learn that Darius is the son of Ahasuerus. Ahasuerus in Daniel 8 is, is um, uh, or, or Daniel has this dream in Daniel 8, where he puts himself in the Persian, in the, in the, in the palace in Shushan, where the Medes and the Persians, kings of the Medes and the Persians, are assembled and live and, and, and reign from. So it kind of ties all this together, and it gives us some of the initial background of what Darius might have known about Judah. And, and makes it begins to make sense of the letter that Darius writes, the very impactful letter that, that Darius writes, requiring that Judah be allowed to rebuild that temple. It's a, it's a beautiful thing. It's, it's very interesting. I hope you like to study the word of God and see all this and kind of piece it all together. <clears throat> you know, we're, we're going to try to make this practical as we go, but you know, it's, it, it may be a little more intellectual and technical than you're used to, but if you come here and watch these videos, essentially this is what you're going to get. We're going to study this out. We're going to run these cross references. So I, I hope it's a blessing and a help to you. Now, Darius king of Persia, receives a letter. Look at Ezra chapter 4. Ezra 4 and verse 6. And in the reign of Ahasuerus, in the beginning of his reign, wrote they unto him an accusation against the inhabitants of Judah and Jerusalem. So that's letter number one. It comes, it comes to Ahasuerus, and um, Ahasuerus does not respond. Um, and this is this is another area that I have to note because many of the the commentaries and the and the uh, uh, historical accounts they try and they they make Ahasuerus and Artaxerxes out to be the same person, and I don't think they are. I don't believe that's plausible. First of all, it's it's listing two different people. It says it says first of all, look again at the verse uh, verse six. In the reign of Ahasuerus. So it's saying that, that at this time, Ahasuerus is reigning, and a letter was sent to him. As far as we know, there was no response from Ahasuerus back to the adversaries of Judah. He did not respond to the letter. But now look at verse 7. And. So it's noting this is different from the days of the reign of Ahasuerus. And in the days of Artaxerxes, wrote Bishlam, Mithridath, uh, Tabil and the rest of their companions. So they write a second letter. Ahasuerus didn't respond. They got they got nothing helpful from Ahasuerus, so they sent a second letter to Artaxerxes. Now, <laughs> is this? It, it seems that the reign has passed from Ahasuerus to Artaxerxes, whatever reign that might have been, because it says in the reign of Ahasuerus and in the days of Artaxerxes. So it's hard to tell here if it's saying these two are reigning at the same time in different territories owned by the Persian king Cyrus, or if these are two different days. Now, I tend to think this is, 
that, that, that they're reigning side by side and that Ahasuerus is in Shushan, Artaxerxes is somewhere else, though he is still reigning on behalf of Cyrus, king of Persia. That's, that's, the, way, that's the way it looks to me. Though, again, it's, it's not definitive. That's just the way it appears to me. So Ahasuerus gets a letter, no response. Artaxerxes gets a letter, and Artaxerxes responds, and he responds quite forcefully, stop the work. Do not allow it to continue. And since Judah had no backbone and were not ready to uh, uh, press forward in the name of God, they just stopped. Now, we mentioned before that Daniel, when he knew the decree was signed, he went as he had before and he just did what God told him to do. He, he, he just did not stop. The, the three Hebrew boys, when, when, uh, when the, the music played, they were supposed to bow down at this idol. We are not careful to answer you in this in this matter, O King. We're, we're not going to do it. We're, we're not going to mislead you. I don't want you to think that we're going to. We're just we're not going to stop worshiping God. We have a responsibility to do it. And so Judah gets a letter from Artaxerxes, and it stops them. And it's a shame. It shouldn't have been that way. Um, Ahasuerus, uh, from Ahasuerus, they garnered no support. Artaxerxes was forceful and forced it to stop. Now, a third letter was written. Judah has stopped working. Haggai the prophet and Zechariah the prophet are raised up. Look at uh, Daniel 5.1. Then the prophets Haggai the prophet and Zechariah the, pro uh, the son of uh, Iddo prophesied unto the Jews that were in Judah and Jerusalem in the name of the God of Israel, even unto them. Then rose up uh, Zerubbabel, the son of Sheltiel, and Jeshua, the son of Jehozadak, and began to build the house of God. So they stopped building. Haggai and, and Zechariah are raised up. They begin to wear the people out and preach to them and tell them, <laughs> you need to consider your ways. God is not happy with what you're doing right now. And they repent, and they get back to work, and they rebuild. they rebuild the temple. Praise the Lord. That's the way it should be. Um, they never should have stopped in the first place, but they did. Now, as we noted before, as soon as they start rebuilding, as soon as they start rebuilding, adversaries show their face. It's, it's just a, uh, you know, it's like a never-ending cycle. It's just how it is. It, it never seems to go away. You know, you want to do something for God. You want to, you want to, um, you know, do what you can to serve God. And as soon as you do, trouble comes your way. Uh, it's unfortunate, but that's what happened. They, 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 they came up again and they, they, they write this third letter. Look at, um, look at Daniel back to Daniel five, look at verse three. At the same time came, the, came to them, Tatnai governor on this side, of the river, uh, and uh, Shethar Bosnai and their companions and said thus unto them, who hath commanded you to build this house and to take and to take up this wall? Then said we unto them after after this manner, what are the names of the men that, that make this building? But the eye of their God was upon the elders of the Jews that they could not cause them to cease till the matter came to Darius. And then they returned answer by letter concerning this matter. So think about that. They show up just like they did before, and they try to force them to stop, and they can't. 
God, God, God is so pleased with the work that they're doing and the fact that they have decided it, that they must be obedient to God. God is so pleased with that, that he said that, that God is with them. God gives them favor. God calls his people to leave them alone. The people who are trying to bother them can't get anywhere. It does nothing to, 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 to stop them or cause them to cease. The work just goes fast on. So finally they said, okay, we'll get the government involved again. We'll send a letter. We'll get this shut down. And uh, so they send the letter and uh, they send it to Darius, the king, not expecting what they get back in return. Look at Ezra six. Then Darius, the king made a decree and search was made in the house of the, the uh, of the rolls where the treasures were laid up in Babylon. And there was found at Akmetha in the palace that is in the provinces. Now, again, of the Medes. That's another important detail. So this Darius, who is a king at this time. Now, you know, sometimes it says he's king of Persia. Sometimes it says Darius the king. So to what extent he is king over all of Persia, it's not clear. It's not as clear as we'd like it to be. But this is another interesting detail. This Darius, who is king when Haggai is prophesying, when he wants to find out what Cyrus said in his decree, he looks in a palace of the Medes, in the province of the Medes, as though he might have some familiarity there. Darius the Median. So again, it, it just makes it more plausible. It's not definitive. So not worth arguing and fighting over. It's just interesting study. Again, if you have some comments and some ideas, leave a comment. I, I'd be happy to interact with you to talk with you. Send me a message. You don't have to leave a comment. Send me a private message. It's even better. I have found when people want to argue, they'll leave a comment. If they, if all they want to do is argue, they'll leave a comment. Oftentimes when I have someone berating the comment section of wherever, wherever they're listening to what I, I've put out, if I tell them to send me a private message, they disappear. <laughs> If, if they can't make a show of it openly, then they, they don't, they don't care. It's, it's all about a public argument. And I'm not going to allow Christians to sit and argue. Now, if you want to have a good discussion, I'm all for that. If you want to argue, go somewhere else. I'm not interested, but he found Cyrus decree in the, in, in a, uh, in the province of the Medes, a role. And therein was a record thus written in the first year of Cyrus, the King, the same Cyrus, the King, made a decree concerning the house of God at Jerusalem. Let the house be builded the place where they off offered sacrifices and let the foundations thereof be strongly laid the height thereof three scores. You know, so he, he lays out the, the dimensions and everything. So, so he, Darius looks into the matter and he finds out, yeah, it's, it's 100% true. Cyrus made this decree and then Cyrus, or excuse me, Darius responds. And we're going to read this whole response. It's, it's worth reading. Um, it's, it's worth looking into. Look at verse 6. Now, therefore, Tatnai, governor beyond the river, Shethar Bosnai, and your companions, the Pharsakites, which are beyond the river, be ye far from thence. <laughs> That's a good start. Get away from there. Leave them alone. But it doesn't stop. Let the work of this house of God alone. Let the governor of the Jews and the elders of the Jews 
build this house of God in his place. Moreover, so not only are you going to let them build, you're going to stay out of their way. You're going to let them build. Moreover, I make a decree what ye shall do to the elders of these Jews for the building of this house of God, that the king's goods, even of the tribute beyond the river, forthwith expenses be given unto these men that they be not hindered. You're going to take my tribute on that side of the river and give it to them so that they can finish building this house. That's an incredible, incredible thing. But it's still not finished. It continues, verse 9, And that, that which they have need of, both young bullocks and rams and lambs, for the burnt offerings of the God of heaven, wheat, salt, wine, and oil, according to the appointment of the priest, which are at Jerusalem, let it be given them day by day without fail. Now, this is very interesting because he, he notes what needs to be given to them for daily sacrifices, and he makes sure to say, give it to the priests. How did he know that? Where would Darius get that information and gain that understanding? That's incredible. I think he's got some background. And it starts with Esther, Mordecai, Jews spread throughout the Persian kingdom as he's a boy growing up or, or whenever, whenever that took place. It had an influence on him. But there was another influence that we're going to look at. I'm going to show you another, another aspect to all this in just a moment that's very important. Verse 10, that they may offer sacrifices of sweet savors unto the God of heaven and pray for the life of the king and of his sons. Also, I have made a decree that whosoever shall alter this word, <laughs> let timber be pulled down from his house, and being set up, let him be hanged thereon, and let his house be made a dunghill for this. Why would he go that far? Why, why such a zealous and direct response? I mean, this is incredible. Uh, not only are you going to let them build, you're going to pay for it. You're going to give them what they need for sacrifices. And if I find out you get in their way, I'm going to tear your house down, hang you from it, and turn it into a dunghill. It's pretty incredible. And the God that hath caused his name to dwell there, destroy all kings and people that shall put to their hand to alter and to destroy this house of God, which is at Jerusalem. I, Darius, have made a decree. Let it be done with speed. So Darius is not playing, and he absolutely means it. But it's not, I, I think Mordecai, Esther, that whole situation with Ahasuerus and saving his life and the influence Mordecai had eventually, I think it all played a role, but there's another person that, that ties all this together that, that makes this influence on Darius so, so strong, so overbearing to, where, to, the, to the point that he would write a letter of this sort. I mean, this is incredible. Look at Daniel 6, Daniel chapter 6, <clears throat> again, and um, let's see if we can if we can further make further sense of this and see if you see what I see as we look into it. Daniel 6, verse 1, it pleased Darius. Now remember, Daniel 5, verse 30 and 31, Darius takes the Babylonian kingdom. 
He's king of the Chaldeans now. What's the first thing he does? Daniel 1, or Daniel 6, 1. It pleased Darius to set over the kingdom and 120 princes, which should, which should be over the whole kingdom, and over these three presidents, of whom Daniel was first, that the princes might give accounts unto them, and the king should have no damage. Then this Daniel was preferred above the presidents and princes because an excellent spirit was in him, and the king thought to set him over the whole realm. Then the presidents and princes sought to find occasion against Daniel concerning the kingdom, but they could not find they could find none occasion nor fault, for as much as he was was faithful, neither was there any error or fault found in him. Then said these men, we shall not find any occasion against him, against this Daniel, except we find it against him concerning the law of his God. So this, it adds another element. Darius takes Babylon. He assumes control of Judah. And man, he falls in love with Daniel. A man with an excellent spirit, a trustworthy man, someone he could depend upon, someone he could lean on, someone he could trust. And, and I think this, this really had a profound effect. Um, now, over these 120 princes were three presidents. Daniel was first. He was preferred above the, the others. Now, this developed into a close and personal relationship between Daniel and Darius. The other presidents, along with the princes, they created this plot to trick Darius into putting Daniel into a very difficult situation. And, um, and he, and, and it worked Darius, you know, <laughs> Darius suffered from something that presidents and, um, and, and Kings tend to suffer from, uh, they're so self-centered. They're so arrogant at times. And these men come to him and they, they just blow his head up. They convince him that he needs to sign this decree and have all people in the kingdom. Look, look at verse six. Let's just read it. Then these presidents and princes assembled together to the king and said thus unto him, King Darius, live forever. All the presidents of the kingdom, the governors, the princes, the counselors, and the captains have consulted together to establish a royal statute and to, to make a firm decree that whosoever shall ask a petition of any god or man for 30 days, save of thee, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions. Darius fell for it, and, and he signed the decree. And, uh, and, it, and, it, and it, caused, it caused a lot of problems. Look at verse 10. Now, when Daniel knew that the writing was signed. Now, think about that. To all of you joining militias and, and sending all your money to the Republican Party, and canvassing for the Republican Party and defending conservatism and and getting involved in politics rather than focusing on what the Lord Jesus Christ told you clearly and specifically to do. Daniel knew the decree was signed. Now, when Daniel knew that the writing was signed, he went into his house and his windows being open in his chamber toward Jerusalem he kneeled, he kneeled upon his knees three times a day 
and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he did aforetime. No militia, no don't tread on me, no conservatism, no Republican Party, no fighting the government. I'm going to do just what God told me to do the same way I was doing it before this decree was signed. Will that come with consequences? Yes, it will. But I'm going to remain faithful to God. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not abiding by this decree. I have a responsibility to pray to my God. I'm not going to stop doing that. It's not going to happen. Now, Daniel had no idea whether God would, would uh, get him out of that lion's den or not. He knew that he was going to go there, but he had no clue if God was going to save him. No idea. Look at Daniel uh, 6, verse 11. Then these men assembled and found Daniel praying and making supplications before his God. And verse 12, uh, about halfway through, the king answered and said, the, the thing is true, according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which altereth not. Then answered they and said before the king that Daniel, which is of the children of the, of the captivity of Judah, regardeth not thee, O king, nor the decree that thou hast signed. And so he had to throw him into the den of, the den of lions. It was a requirement. You got to follow the law. You got to abide by the law, which is an amazing thing. America is supposed to be a country of laws. Nobody cares anymore. Nobody abides by them. Nobody follows them anymore. Uh, Uganda claims to be a republic. <laughs> you couldn't, laws are arbitrary and therefore for immediate and subjective interpretation on the spot, <laughs> if, if they have one at all. But this pagan king back in the day understood that I signed a decree. I have to abide by it. And Daniel was thrown into the den of lions. And, um, but God helped him. God saved him. But I, I want you to read what took place as it became a reality that Daniel had to go into that den. Look at verse 18. Then the king went to his palace and passed the night fasting. Neither were in instruments of music brought before, <clears throat> before him, and his sleep went from him. Then the king arose very early in the morning and went in haste under the den of lions. And when he came to the den, he cried with a lamentable voice unto Daniel. Think about that. He runs first thing in the morning straight to that den and cries with a lamentable voice. I mean, just think about what that means. He's broken over what he's done. And he's hoping Daniel is okay. Cried with a lamentable, lamentable, lamentable voice unto Daniel. And the king spake and said to Daniel, O Daniel, servant of the living God, is thy God whom thou servest continually able to deliver thee from the lions? Then Daniel said, Daniel, then said Daniel unto the king, O king, live forever. It gives me chills. I get goosebumps every time I read that because it's not just a children's story. This is a king who made a terrible mistake. And this is, this is a godly man who stayed true to his God. And it, and it came with some serious consequences. See, we, we want to serve God with no consequences. We, we've had it so good in America for so long. When, when it becomes problematic to be a Christian, we don't, we can't quite fathom that. We don't understand that. 
We think, okay, we're going to take on the revolutionary ideas of our forefathers and we're going to fight against this. We're going to take up arms. We're going to get, you know, AR-15s and, and, you know, whatever else that we, we can get our hands on and we're going to go fight the government. Not if you're abiding by the Bible, you're not. You're going to go preach the gospel. You're going to go to church. When they say don't sing, you're going to sing. When they say don't interact with people on the streets and preach in the name of Jesus, you're going to go interact in the streets and preach in the name of Jesus. Not because we want to be defiant of the government, but because the government has set itself against God and we have to remain obedient to God. That will come with consequences. They yield not the sword in vain. We are subject to the government. But we should stand before God, having done all to stand, not having taken the cowardly route and abandoned God and abandoned what he's commanded us to do. That, that can't happen. We can't do that. Now, I don't want trouble with the government. I don't want to go to jail. I don't want to be thrown in a den of lions. <laughs> I don't want to find out if God is going to get me out or not because he's made no promise to do so. He didn't make that promise to Daniel and he hasn't made it to me, nor to you, but he might. He might. Even if he doesn't, he's still worth, he's still worthy of our service. He's still worthy of our faithfulness and our dedication. So um, I, I just, I encourage you to remain faithful to God. Stop getting involved in vain matters regarding the Republican party and hoping that Donald Trump or some other Republican look, I, I hope people who believe in religious freedom continue to be president of the United States. That would be wonderful. It doesn't appear that that's going to be the case. The generations coming after this generation, they've all, they're heavily indoctrinated in communism and Mar Marxism and socialism. They have no idea. They have no idea of the hundreds of millions of people that communism killed in the 20th century, not counting the number of people communism has killed so far in the 21st century. It's intellectual. It's dreamy ideals. They've bought into it. They're indoctrinated. So if you want to, if you want to start a grassroots, you know, a grassroots project to change America, Go preach the gospel. Hit the streets. Go out and proclaim the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, Daniel 6.13 tells us that Daniel is of the children of the captivity, the same children that belong to Esther, same children that belong to Mordecai, all people that have interacted with Darius and his people all this time and brought us to this point to where Darius has a love and a concern for Daniel and for possibly Esther, and for Mordecai, and anyone related to, the, to Judah, the children of the captivity. And so he receives this letter saying, O oh, oh king, live forever. We need to stop the building of this house over here. I need you to look into this and see if you need to, you know, and verify that you want us to stop this. Daniel, Darius looks into it, and he writes back and says, if I find out you get in their way, I'm going to hang you. I'm going to tear your house down, hang you from the timber and turn it into a dunghill. You better not only get out of their way, you're going to fund it. You're going to fund it. You're going to pay for it. And you can use my tribute to do it. What an incredible thing. <laughs> what is that ever going to happen again? It could. It's just not likely. 
Now, this is what I want us to think about. This is the practical matter I want us to think about. What if Daniel was a deadbeat, a deadbeat Bible believer? What if Mordecai had been a deadbeat Bible believer? What if Mordecai had been out joining the militias and, and, and uh, fighting against the government rather than there trying to help the government? The same government who put a man in charge that wanted to kill him. He stayed faithful. He did what was right. He didn't go join the militia and, and you know, the, the, the various respective groups who were forming armies together to go take on the Persians. We're going to get our rights back. <laughs> no, that's not what they did. They stayed true to God and they continued to look out for the well-being of that, of that nation. You and I have the same responsibility. It's no different. If they had been deadbeats, if Daniel didn't have an excellent spirit, if he wasn't faithful, if he wasn't dependable and trustworthy, if Mordecai hadn't been been an honorable man of integrity and saved his <clears throat> excuse me and saved his father's life, how would Darius have responded years later when the adversaries of Judah send a letter saying, "Hey, these people are trying to rebuild Jerusalem and trying to rebuild this temple." They're even putting up walls. Darius would have said, Mordecai was a deadbeat. Daniel is a deadbeat. These people have been nothing but problems. Shut it down. But that's not what happened. Mordecai was faithful. Daniel was faithful. That had an impact on Darius. And because of the faithfulness of two men, you can even add Esther in there. Three people. An entire nation. The southern kingdom, Judah, was not only allowed to rebuild the temple to their God, but Darius funded it and provided protection for them while they did so. That's profound. That's, that, should, that should make you think about how you act on a daily basis. When you go to work, when you deal with various people and you interface with this world, the way you act and represent Christianity might have an impact down the road as to whether we get to continue to build freely or whether we got to do it under persecution. I'm not saying it will. I'm saying it could. And we need to keep these things in mind and we need to be focused on these things and we need to be faithful and true to the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, in conclusion, as you enjoy the sounds of Masaka with me, recording from home, it's not quite as quiet here, uh, but we're trying to limit the amount of time we go out uh, just because things are so uh, <laughs> unpredictable in town. I prefer not to, uh, to be on the receiving end of, of you know, of of gas or, or, uh, you know, the, just, just all the things or, or beatings from the police or any of that type stuff. So pray for us as we continue the work the Lord sent us here to do just like Daniel, we're going to do what we had done before. It's not changing. And, uh, we would rather do it with the government's cooperation and not without, but we're not going to be disrespectful and go, you know, barging in and, and just, and just disrespect the government. We, we, we want to be mindful of these things. We've got to, we got to strike a proper balance 
So we, we, we really need you to pray for us as we deal with these things. Now, I hope this study of Darius the king was a blessing and a help. I hope it will encourage you, first of all, to live in such a way that that would give a proper, uh, that would properly influence the world around you regarding their thoughts of Christianity. They already have many preconceived ideas. They need to see something real. You got to show it to them. So I hope you set about to do that. Secondly, I hope it encourages you to study your Bible and search these things out and look at it and piece it all together and find out what the Lord has done. And, and I hope it's a blessing and a help to you. Now, um, our next broadcast will feature a biographical sketch of Zerubbabel, the governor of Judah. So I hope you'll come around and look for that. And I pray that it'll be a help and a blessing to you. And um, that we're going to try to note some interesting details. This seems to be was Zerubbabel. And I don't want to get too far into it. We're going we're gonna to end this broadcast. But this seems to be possibly the start of a, in a sense, a, a democratic Israel. And so we're going to follow that out and see how we can, uh, how we can piece that together. And, and um, Lord willing... Um, you'll come back and listen and Lord willing, it'll be a help and a blessing to you. Thank you for listening and God bless. We hope you enjoyed this podcast. You can learn more about our ministry by visiting www.plenteousredemption.com. You can hear more Plenteous Redemption podcast audio at www.plenteousredemption.media. Please comment below if this podcast has been a help to you. Also, inform us of future topics that would interest you. Thank you again for listening to the Plenteous Redemption Podcast.